Hello, welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast. And we watched American Utopia this weekend, and then we went back and revisited the 1984 classic concert film, Stop Making Sense. Jeremy, compare and contrast. Yeah, yeah I, I, I flipped those or those sequences that you just mentioned. So I uh, went and for the first time watched Stop Making Sense, um, which is completely one of those things that I am shocked at myself having not seen it. We kind of grew up um, with that live soundtrack in our, you know, one of our many wood-paneled Chrysler minivans. Um in the suburbs are one of the few cool groups that our, our mother actually liked was Talking Heads. And, and so that was like a constant. And for some reason, yeah, I just never went back and, and saw the movie. And then, um, but I did watch American Utopia as well, um, post and, you know, two different eras. It's, it's certainly a, a band, I think at the height of its prime and a, um, a man sort of coming into being an, an older man and, and still having like, you know, just a, a great need to be creative and, and, um, and a message. And, and so I don't know, you know, I, I thought they both were actually really good. I was personally really blown away by Stop Making Sense. And I think just because I had kind of, um, I guess had lower expectations for some reason, um, you know, and, and I think I might've had higher expectations for, uh, America Utopia. How about you? It's funny, I, you know, because I saw Stop Making Sense very, uh, you know, um, very excitedly when it came out, um, I, in the theater, you know, I, I had a recollection of having liked it, and then, to be honest with you, um, the Stop Making Sense soundtrack was so ubiquitous, and this was yeah. around the time I started working in restaurants, you know, I was a uh, teenager, and um, it was it was in every kitchen, every restaurant I ever worked in, and I kind of got sick of it. So I actually came back to stop making sense, not having seen it since I saw it in the theater, and was really pleasantly surprised by how much more um, uh, how much more exciting it it is as a visual. Um, my you know my my it's a it's a very individual problem, but I. You know, I started hearing "Stop Making Sense" all the time, and I I prefer the studio tracks to those live uh, "Stop Making Sense" tracks because it, I think of the Talking Heads. You know, sort of the crux of the Talking Heads, and one of the reasons I liked them so much is there was a sort of you know David Burns personality, which is this sort of jittery, nervous, paranoid, um, you know, uh, inwardly uh, focused and and neurotic kind of personality, and the live tracks are so joyous that it kind of always, they always felt like a little bit lesser to me than the studio tracks. Until you sense. get the actual image, I think. And I agree with you that like I, that soundtrack, you know, obviously we were, it was something that like, as I mentioned, like it was just nonstop. Right. And I too mm-hmm. always preferred going the studio albums and, and kind of going back and, and digging through those a little bit. Um, you know, it is a greatest hits, right. To some degree. Um, it's a good live album, but what I found really fascinating, not having seen it is just the, and it, you know, it kind of bridges into American Utopia is like the stage setting is brilliant. You know, the way that show starts mm-hmm. is pretty cool, <laughs> you know, pretty different. Yeah. Um, my takeaway from both is that, um, I am guessing that David Byrne really likes to rehearse. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and is good and, and is like a really good showman too. 
Um, yeah. But and and actually, you know, kind of re um, solidified like previous knowledge that he's also a very good musician. And <laughs> I mean, I knew he's yeah. a good singer. But yeah, um, you never really hear much about his his you know acumen as a as a performer. It's always as a persona and a songwriter. But yeah, he's and a I really, think really good player. He's a really good player, and he can do it while entertaining you, which is rare and hard to do. Um, so I think for me, like having having the visual with stop making sense, it really brought that out, like that live album to life, which I'd never seen. And then also just like I said, abandon its prime that you know had gotten to the point where they definitely had you know an entourage of, of very talented um, kind of axemen, you know, with Bernie Worrell and you know second guitar player scales yes backup singers and and, you know everything um percussions but um the core group you know essentially i guess for most songs you know two guitars bass and drums um is really friggin' tight too yeah you know kind of really drives it it's funny i you asked me the other day if i ever saw talking heads and the answer is no i really kicked myself for never having seen them because i had the opportunity and and for whatever reason, um, I think I was actually not allowed to go because I was in trouble. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember, you know, everybody, our, our you know, Lisa, um, our sister, you know, came back just raving. She had gone, driven from Philly down to Charlottesville to see the show and, and was like, you know, just absolutely blown away. So I was doubly pissed that I missed it. But I did see Tom Tom Club more than once. And Tom Tom Club was that. I mean, they were a party. Like fun, you know, a party like, band, yep. Yeah, and so I always thought that that was the sort of impulse that was, um, you know, that was kept under wraps when they were uh, in Talking Heads. But in fact, it wasn't. They were pretty, you know, performance-wise, they were pretty fucking fun as a... Uh, uh, you know, both bands, I, you know, because to me it was always in my head, you know, I know Tom Tom Club went off and recorded their album in 81 because David Byrne was doing In the Bush of Ghosts with Brian Eno. And so they got bored and, and put out an album. Turns out that album, you know, has uh, has a lot more resonance than anybody would have thought it would have, um, you know, when it was released. It's been I think it's the most sampled song in history. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, it was always like David Byrne is the stern intellect and, you know, the, the rhythm section is kind of a party that, that doesn't get to happen, but it's not true. They, they really were, uh, yeah, I think entertaining live. it's, it's pretty cool because I, you know, I think I've, I've two kind of, you know, I obviously never saw them and was young and, and their albums have that kind of nervous jittery feeling, even though like, as you get older and learn more about music, you realize how much, you know, sort of Africa, African, you know, kind of beats and, and Rhythms, you know, yeah. hip hop and just things and funk and things that they really kind of like incorporated into all that music, but with the nervous, you know, square kind of white guy, David Byrne presentation. And he was such sort of an, a piece of art himself. And I've always thought of his voice as, a, as an instrument almost, you know, yeah. um, in the way he sings that, yeah, I kind of always thought of him and just sort of a bunch of people standing behind him um, playing that music. And it's not that at all. And, and you really see that that band is, is, it's a band, you know, and I think that's the one other thing that it sort of, and then you have Jonathan Demme directing and, and the stage show in general, you know, for those who don't remember, I've seen it, but I just thought it was really clever and cool. You know, the fact that it's a bare bones, you know, back of the stage and him in a boom box for the first song. And then as like, you know, each song kind of progresses, it becomes an actual like 
concert, you know, huge show with lights and, you know, um, everybody coming in. And I just thought that was a really cool concept. Great use of light and shadow and, and, you know, it was, but it was all there. I mean, the the interesting part, I mean, I think going back to American Utopia, which kind of has... Well, I was going to say it's kind of a segue, yeah, to American Utopia, go for it. Yeah, where, you know, David Byrne is on stage alone to start, but in American Utopia, he works back to being on stage alone after having 11 accompanists come on and, uh, you know, in various, um, you know, regiments. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. It's incredibly well staged. Obviously I was joking about the rehearsal, but that guy, um, you know, nobody in either show misses a mark. Um, so it's pretty wild. Yeah. And I think American Utopia was interesting. It was kind of, you know, uh, like I said before, you had kind of a a band in its prime that, you know, is, is really kind of just playing the, the hell out of, you know, I mean, the, Take Me to the River, I never loved the cover on the live album, but seeing it live, you're like, this is this is amazing, like, this is great. And I feel like with American Utopia, you know, it's somebody who's very comfortable with who he is in the world and probably can contemplating certain things about life and, and the times, and so there's a, a definitely a, a political and humorous aspect and self-reflective aspect. Um, and then I thought the idea of like just having people watching people with no wires, no, th- you know, none of the mm-hmm. sort of accompaniments. So you almost get like a marching band doing talking head songs. And the cool things, like the things I walked away from being most impressed with, because for me, I like the music more than some of the banter, but the banter was decent. Um, was just the talent, like again, like the band ripped, you know, I mean, so it was sort of like almost scaling down intricate talking head songs to their essentials with lots of, yeah, yeah, like percussion pieces and things like that. And, but still nailing the songs and Byrne can still really sing and play, you know, and, 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 and move and dance and yeah, everything's super choreographed, but in like a, you know, I was just thinking to myself, like to move that way and to play, you know, that, you know, the keyboard or bass or, you know, whatever it is, is pretty impressive. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, I made two presumptions when I was young and didn't have the sort of wealth of knowledge that you can, uh, you know, sort of access on the Internet. Um, you know, my my first was um, obviously not chronologically, but, you know, much like Mac from Superchunk, I always thought David Byrne was kind of straining against his his inability to sing when right. in fact he, you know, is very intentionally sounding the way he sounds and he's a good singer. Yeah. The other was, um, was that I, I always assumed that they did take me to the river as kind of a joke because to sort of highlight the fact that, you know, because yeah, it's an Al Green song yeah. and you know, that he was this, you know, nerdy, you know, white guy, skinny white guy, that it was kind of an inside joke that they would do, you know, such a soulful song from such a soulful singer. But I don't think either one of those is true. It's just stuff you think about when you're 14 years old. No, I agree. And I, like I said, I, you know, it's a great Al Green song. I never, because I only really kind of heard the soundtrack side of it. You do see, and it, it, I mean, in the, the, also the imagery of him in the big suit, you know, the big shouldered suit and pants during that song, but still singing the shit out of it. It's not like he's joking. I mean, yeah. he is joking in a sense, but more with just his persona and that kind of, you know, oddity. Like, um, I wanted to get back to the suit because that became like, I mean, it instantly iconic. And, mm-hmm. you know, people who didn't know who Talking Heads were 
you know, knew the suit and, it, you know, sort of knew the affiliation. I mean, you know, everybody from Kermit the Frog to like, you know, <laughs> hosts of, of, you know, award shows were, were appearing in the suit and everybody was kind of, you know, it was, it became this thing that, um, you know, really uh, remarkable after 36 years, people are still donning the big suit and everybody still knows the reference. Yeah, no, it is pretty amazing. And, and you can almost say, too, it's become as uniform in a sense, not the big suit, but that three-button sort of like, um, you know, just Unreconstructed, yeah, unconstructed exactly. blazer. And, or which everybody or. has in, in American Utopia, too. So what were your thoughts on American Utopia? I mean, I know you're not a big, like, Broadway show type of person. Yeah, I'm, but I, I like the... I liked the degree of difficulty piece. You know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, Stop Making Sense feels like a rock concert. American Utopia feels like a Broadway show, but frankly, they're both rock concerts. Yeah. And, um, and both shows, yeah. Broadway shows. Yeah. In a weird and they're way. both really, they're both kind of black box. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, there's not a whole lot. I mean, there's, if you look at the setting for American Utopia, which, by the way, we haven't yet mentioned, is directed by Spike Lee. Yeah, um, I was actually going to throw that out there. And I think very well. Staging is minimal. It's, you've got you've got the sort of chain curtain, and that's it. It's yep. um, it's a box, and so yep. all of that movement and all of the all the visual is all generated by the people that are in it. It's really kind of cool and, and amazing. Um, again, kicking myself uh, that um, it. Uh, they did rehearsals for a month or, or, uh, or you know, um, whatever you call it, I guess. Yeah, rehearsals for a month in, in Boston, and I never made it to any of the show. Actually, maybe two months, and I never made it to the show, which yeah. is about yeah, 10 so blocks they, away from here. Yeah, that's um, that's a double fuck-up, by the way. I'm yeah, it is. Heads American Utopia. Um, no, I agree with you. I think Spike Lee did a masterful job, like, making, like, the overhead shots, the kind of just giving you the whole sense of the coordination and uh, choreography. And then, um, and, you know, the concert films are not easy to film. I think, obviously, Jonathan Demme, too, on, on Stop Making Sense. Like, you have two kind of greats and two guys who have a, a very visual style. And I think, like... Um, to your point like that I think that would be a very cool show to see live I really thought it was clever and enjoyable and um, you know it happens to be also Talking Heads catalog which is great you know yeah, um, well, yeah so I, think, I think it's one of those ones where the the film is fun to watch um, and being there live would in, you know increase your enjoyment of it by a by a major factor totally and I and I think um, what do you call it like where on TV it's a little subdued, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And where Stop Making Sense actually felt like uh, not subdued to me. It felt kind of like way less... Like, I, I hate watching concert videos, you know? It's not my thing. Um, it's I don't find them enjoyable. I've wanted to be at a show. It's the same reason I don't love watching live streams of my favorite artists today during COVID. But, um, you know, when you do something really unique like both of these movies... It helps a bit. I think, you know, it might have just been the time and the youth and the energy of Stop Making Sense, but that is, like, talking heads to me and, and really came across, like, energetic. I thought the um, American Utopia was brilliant to watch and super interesting, but the music had a little bit of a, you know, age factor, subdued factor. I think it might, it might mm. have been the instrumentation, too, but it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, from the people who brought you Silence of the Lambs and Do the Right Thing, right? 
I know. <laughs> it is. It's pretty good. But it, uh-huh. Jonathan Demme always did use music, and in his later films, including you know Rachel Getting Married, um, actually did that. Uh, I, I forget. What, I think it's Dogma seventy five. Um, there's a term for it um, of only including having no soundtrack or score, only using music that's played live on the screen in the movie. Yeah. So when Tunde Adebempe sings Neil Young. Or when you know Robin Hitchcock, um, you know as the as the wedding band kind of rehearses. Um, so it's you know it's kind of an interest. He's always incorporated music, though. I mean, famously, back in you know back going back to Something Wild, which is a movie I love that I it's a great you know, movie. urge I've anybody seen, yeah. to revisit. Um, you know, he's got his professed favorite band in the world playing the prom scene or the high school reunion scene which was uh, New Jersey's own, the Feelies. Um, so, yeah, he's always, you know, Demi always had um, had a, you know, strong musical presence in his movies, not to mention the fact that his nephew Ted uh, created YoMTV Raps. So That's right. Um, and, and Spike Lee, too. Um, you know, I mean, going all the way back to Do the Right Thing, which has the greatest opening of any movie of all time. Um, you know, with Rosie Perez dancing to uh, Fight the Power, um, on down to something, you know, Christian and I saw a couple years ago, Chirac, which I wasn't wild about. But, you know, I read somebody's take on it was, you know, why doesn't Spike Lee just make a fucking musical? He keeps making musicals without the music. <laughs> yeah, which makes a lot of sense. It's, um, I, I mean, Do the Right Thing, that intro always blew me away. And then, you know, Jonathan Demme, who tended to kind of throw in more, like, I guess, alternative or indie bands, it was always a pleasure to, like, see that or hear that in a movie, too, you know? And even Sounds of the Lambs has a great soundtrack, you know, and in, in little weird bits, like, you know, American Girl playing during the... My favorite, like one that. of my favorite scenes ever, you know, the girl trying to sing both the lead and the backing vocals on American Girl right yeah, before right. she gets kidnapped. It's <laughs> great. Well, and I mean, all in all... We've all done it. Yeah, I think both, you know, not to harp on, on these too much unless you want to kind of keep going, but I, I think, um, you know, I think it was a real pleasure actually to watch both. They both made me really happy in a uh, kind of, you know, as we're nearing the, rounding the corner to ending this uh, this depressing year. Um, it was really great to, to go back and, and be like as pleasantly surprised by Stop Making Sense as I was. It was, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not a concert film person. I do love Jonathan Demi and I do love Talking Heads, so not sure why those two great things together wouldn't work. But um, they just usually don't for me, no matter who's doing it. And I thought it was, um, you know, just a band that like, and I just, you know, kind of brought me back. And, and weirdly, I think you and I had been listening, I had been listening to uh, like some Talking Heads albums start to finish and, and things like that, that I hadn't really revisited in a while. And then Utopia again was just, you know, like, it's just good art and, and creativity. And, you know, I think yeah. um, it's really, I don't know anybody who couldn't, you know, I'll, I'll probably watch it with my kids, uh, you know, next weekend or whatever. It's just something that like, I don't, I'm not sure how you couldn't enjoy that. Yeah, no, it's it's beautifully done and, and beautifully shot and, you know, it's captured. It's funny, too. I mean, it just occurred to me, but, you know, it's it's always, you know, the cynics that write the greatest love songs. And, um, you know, David Byrne is, I think, fits that bill of, you know, he, he as much as he questions all of the 
um, you know, motivations in humankind, he also writes a great love song. And Naive yes. Melody is, um, I think, one of three tracks, three or four tracks that are in both. Um, that, and I just say, you know, I love it in both. Yeah, it's, um, I think we actually, I think you might have thrown it on the, um, on, you did throw it on our, our Never yeah. Ending Million Song playlist a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, there's, there's like, you know, I guess a million, but a million and five of my favorite songs. But there's like, you know, always a, a top five, we'll say, of songs that you just never, ever get tired of hearing. Right. And um, and that's one that's really timeless. And I think, you know, more and more, you know, some Talking Head stuff definitely sounds a little dated and things. And I, and I thought some of the reinstrumentation of Utopia was kind of cool in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you also kind of just realize their music is really out of time, out of place, timeless in a good way. You know, it's it's uh, it's it was a sound that was very modern at the time, but used a lot of like primitive and, and jittery and, and kind of, you know, um, interesting rhythm sections and things that were, you know, kind of world music before, you know, people were really kind of tying all that stuff together, or at least in a, in a popular quirky way like they were. And, and it, it really makes for timeless music. I mean, you know, you would kind of mentioned you'd remain in the light a few weeks ago. And I'd, I'd blasted that the other day too. And you're just like, man, this just sounds relevant still. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to take a quick break and come back and end this thing, how we end all of them. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, it's me and Jeremy today, and uh, that always begs the question, Jeremy, what are you listening to? Well, aside from, um, you know, revisiting the Talking Heads catalog, which we just talked about, I, um, I have been watching just like some random-ass music documentaries on Amazon and ended up watching one on Tom Waits, 83 to... Um, 83 to 06, so sort of the the kind of like art art years of Tom Waits, which I actually found, you know, you and I joke a lot about these, but we kind of can get sucked into any of these these types of docs. And um, and it was just kind of brought me back to Rain Dogs and um, Swordfish Trombones in particular, and then, you know, a lot of focus on Frank's Wild Years too, but Rain Dogs and Swordfish being two albums that I listened to a lot in high school and stuff. And 
you know, just how unique an artist Waits was and how influential he was. And then on to his kind of like indie cred where, you know, a lot of his contemporaries had sort of were mailing it in and he was never as big as a Dylan, obviously, or Neil Young or, you know, some of the, the sort of dinosaurs of rock. But, you know, he could have probably faded away or done things differently. And he just seemed to be a guy who, who got weirder and wanted to get weirder um, and try different things. And then... Um, I listened to the Cutworms album that you recommended to, um, what is it, Nobody Lives Here Anymore? Is that the name mm-hmm. of the album? Which I'm really enjoying, um, as well as a, a sort of Deer Hunter cover band in a, in a good way. Um, oh, I said Pool Hologram, right? And so I like yeah. that record as well. Um, and then lastly, third record, uh, the new Adrian Lenker album is just amazing. She's She's amazing. Yeah. Then that's great yeah. start to finish. So uh, then some good new music, and then kind of immersing myself in um, in rock, uh, you know, concert films and, and obscure documentaries. How about you? Um, I have been watching a show on Netflix called Queen's Gambit, which I'm really enjoying. I haven't finished yet, so I'm not sure if they will stick the landing. But um, it's a period piece from the '60s about a female chess prodigy. And, oh, you're you know, right. I read if, about that. that didn't, if that, that doesn't idea. sell you, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's actually really, it's beautifully shot. It's got, you know, the, the period detail is fantastic. Um, of all things, um, Marielle Heller, who is a, a director, uh, I've never known her to be an actress before, but she uh, comes in in a supporting, in a very important supporting role and is fantastic. Uh, she cool. directed uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood last year and, um, you know, is, is known as a film director. I never, again, never had, um, never knew she was an actress, um, but love her work in this. And I love the lead, Anya Taylor-Joy. So, um, you know, really good. And uh, Bill Camp from uh, The Night Of plays uh, her original um, chess mentor. So uh, I really, I, I highly recommend it. Nice, I'll check that out. All right, All right. You want drum to put... roll. Yeah, what do you uh, what do you want to throw on the list? I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna go curveball here. Um, Atlantic City by Bruce Springsteen. Great song. I love that song. That's um, that's actually the first song that I ever kind of was like, Bruce ain't that bad. Um, yeah. I'm gonna go. God, I've got like three. I hate when that happens, but I'm gonna go ahead and just stick with the one that I originally thought of, um, based off of just I think it's just kind of the perfect combo song for me of sounds that I love. And it's a ceremony by new order. So the first single post post joy division that Ian Curtis wrote and the band ended up performing. Um, love that song. I, always have. I think it might be on there already, but I don't think it is actually. Okay. I think we have, um, age of consent on there, but if it isn't, if I'm wrong, then my backup was going to be Goshen 97 by strand of Oaks. Nice. Nice. Well, um, good talking to you, and uh, yeah. we'll we'll talk again very soon. But um, everybody, go watch American Utopia. Uh, stop making so revisit. Stop making sense, and then watch yeah, the Queen's Utopia Gambit on while HBO you're listening to Max. And um, stop making sense can be found on Amazon Prime. Excellent. Talk to you in a bit. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother 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 podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. 
Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.